Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 1130 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen, TGIF. Welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today and hope you are planning on a wonderful weekend celebrating with family and friends. Please be safe. Please pack your patience. We know that there's going to be some challenges out there, the airports, at the beaches, at you know, if you've got hotels, even with your loved ones, with family. Um, but we're going to get through it. We always do. And so I uh, want to thank you again for taking the time out. So uh, we have, we're, we're going to talk about a couple of things, but we um, have some, uh, uh, I guess, things that we want to kind of decipher about the decision made by the Supreme Court yesterday with regards to affirmative actions. So uh, to help us get through that is a professor of law at Florida A&M Law School, uh, Leroy Purnell. Good morning. How are you, sir? Oh, oh, goodness gracious. Okay. We don't have him there yet, so hopefully we'll get him soon. Um, just FYI, Supreme Court, uh, this is um, the C- from CNN. There's a lot of news sources out there, but according to this, Supreme Court said colleges and universities can no longer take race into consideration as, um, as a specific basis for granting admission. Um, it's uh, overturning longstanding precedent that has benefited, they said, blacks and Latino students in higher education. I'm sure other people have benefited from this as well. Um, Chief Justice John Roberts wrote the opinion uh, for the conservative majority. Um, Justice uh, Katanji uh, Brown Jackson, um, uh, well, and she was actually joined by, and also uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor and uh, Justice Elena Kagan. It's interesting how it's, it's you know most uh, no no men are involved in the dissent just the women uh, they all dissented uh, three dissenting um, and they says it rolls back decades of president and momentum um, and momentous progress on this uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that I'm going to check to see uh, when uh, Professor Purnell will be available so we're going to take a quick break uh, if you have questions or comments I'd like to see from you all uh, what your thoughts are was this a good thing did you benefit from having um, affirmative action uh, regulations in place and forgive me if I'm talking a little bit through my nose. I'm trying to, I guess, get past a little bit of a summer cold. But uh, we'll continually get back. Oh, wait. Do I hear somebody on? Uh, Professor Purnell, are you there? Uh, yes, I am. Oh, good. Well, good morning. Welcome to G's Power Hour. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so very much. So before we get into the meat of everything, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I'm a, a professor of law at the Florida A&M University College of Law. Uh, I'm a former dean of the law school here, and I was uh, dean uh, uh, before that at Northern Illinois uh, uh, Law School. Uh, and uh, on, also on the faculty of Ohio State, and I've been working in the areas of uh, criminal procedures, uh, civil rights, 
for a long time, uh, uh, for the past uh, over 40 years. Well, thank you again for joining us this morning. Um, Kind of break down what happened with the Supreme Court and what this means from this point forward with regards to um, affirmative action practices, if there are any to be had in in our schools going forward. Well, I mean, I I think a lot of uh, uh, interpreting will still need to be done with the Supreme Court's decision. But essentially, uh, the the opinion uh, would strike the ability of uh, universities and colleges, in particular, to use race-specific criteria as a basis for admission. Uh, Now, where that leaves us in terms of things such as um, whether the the uh, school is aware of race. Uh, particularly as the, as the opinion itself suggests, if the applicant raises the issue of race, uh, uh, what role that might play in, uh, in the decision process, that's a little unclear. Um, it's also unclear at this point uh, what this will uh, do for uh, the ability to use uh, race-based affirmative action as a judicial remedy, if a court were to order it in in response to a specific finding of discrimination on the, on the part of the uh, defendant, that's that's how affirmative action started uh, as a judicial remedy. Um, I, I'm not sure there's anything in this opinion that prevents courts from doing that. Uh, the situation you have with universities and colleges, where that they were not necessarily admitting to their own a history of of, uh, of discrimination, but instead we're uh, trying to achieve a uh, diverse student body uh, and uh, and have that body be reflective of a society around it. So that's a little bit of a different posture. Um, I think we'll probably see uh, uh, those universities. First of all, I mean, and I think the first unfortunate thing we'll see is those universities and colleges will begin to have a significant decline in diversity on their campus. Uh, you know, it's going to be um, uh, an immediate negative uh, uh, effect of that. Uh, that will then probably lead uh, colleges and universities to try to find some way to uh, readjust their admissions process uh, to get around the fact that uh, uh, they might previously have considered race as a factor uh, in admissions. So uh, a lot of that impact and a lot of where we go from here with that is uh, is still out there. And, uh, um, you know, one, one of the, the, the real uh, uh, core issues in this case is the Supreme Court, in its opinion, is essentially taking a position of, of equal protection, uh, uh, enforcing a colorblind, uh, uh, a standard of colorblindness, uh, in a society that isn't colorblind, uh, and so that 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 creates a tension right there. And when you have people who've been disadvantaged because of race uh, in in a society, people by who are uh, as qualified, if not more qualified than than, than others, um, uh, and to now declare that we're we're going to ignore uh, the uh, uh, what what made them uh, 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 the obstacles have been put in, into their path by way of of race? You know, uh, institutions are going to have to try to find some way to deal with that. It's going to be very confusing. Okay, I, I have to say that um, personally, I'm a little bit distraught about it. Just just because I think. And I think there does need to be maybe some sort of different standard maybe with mm-hmm. selecting uh, students into uh, – and even selecting people into jobs because, you know, I, I think people get caught up with the terminology, affirmative action. I think that's what has happened. And I don't think people really understood what it was really supposed to be for about those people that it, it did not 
let's say, benefit or people that did not have to deal with discrimination. I just don't think they understood. You know, it's like oh, all of a sudden I'm getting canceled out. It's like, no, that's not what's happening yeah. here. Um, you know, and I think what happens now is, you know, when you when you had, especially there were cases, I think, when you had affirmative action uh, regulation or, or, you know, criteria in place, I think people were saying, okay, uh, now that we know, you know, who's here and stuff, let's pick, and I could be wrong, in some cases, the person that meets the criteria but is the person that's least offensive. Because in my in my perspective, a lot of times those affirmative action criteria that were put in place benefited women in general more so than African Americans, and then and then still benefited white people because they're saying, okay, well we've diversified, we've you know we've added a woman where there wasn't a woman before, you know. Uh, so I, I I don't know I'm I'm just distraught a little bit about it because I think there needs to maybe if you okay if you get rid of affirmative action what do you have what do you do to ensure that everybody gets a fair shot because I think affirmative action just kind of allowed people to step up and say you know that thought that they may be discriminated against wow I well, have a chance I really do have a chance. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think I think uh, what you've said raises uh, a couple of very important points that that the court uh, and society really needs to, to tackle on the concept of, of affirmative action. And you're right; people have built up this mythos around the concept of affirmative action, uh, and and they've reinforced it with uh, with some non-truths. One non-truth is that affirmative action meant that uh, uh, particularly in terms of people of color, were getting jobs uh, and, and, and admissions that they didn't deserve. And I think that the, the results show that that's just not true. Uh, and, and that uh, uh, those folks who, uh, for whom affirmative action uh, allowed them to help a university diversify uh, actually were strong students and, and, and performed admirably uh, and were, this, were really the type of, of, of folks that any institution would want to have. The, the, the second myth that, that seems to uh, uh, fuel this anti-affirmative action notion is somehow affirmative action, ha- if, you're, if you're white, somehow affirmative action cost me my job. Uh, and, and yeah, statistics I, I, not- I have to say, I have to say I even had, <laughs> and I'm not going to call her name, I even had a teacher in a Catholic school whose husband worked, I'm going to say where he worked, at um, which used to be Martin Marietta, now Lockheed Martin, who blamed affirmative action for her husband losing his job there. First of all, why do you want to burden your eighth grade why do you want to burden your eighth grade students and, and, and being that there were only three of us in the whole school uh, at the time why do you want to, play, to burden your, your eighth grade students with, with you having to vent this is something maybe you might want to have done with your other uh, professional colleagues or something but this is not something you burden your students with first of all second of all my concern is that if your husband was doing his job effectively and proficiently and above and beyond maybe anybody else, he wouldn't have had a problem, right? Right, right. right. Well, I think the numbers. I mean, the 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 the, the numbers show that when you look at the at at uh, uh, the issue of of uh, of who. Uh, is hired and 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 people of color uh, have performed the job well, and and the folks who didn't <laughs> who who didn't get a job probably didn't deserve the job. Uh, at least in comparison to the skills that others brought to the table. This is not to say you can't find. Sure, I mean it, you can you can search the country all over, and you can find um, uh, examples of of inequitable 
uh, application of principles and 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 uh, but that is not necessarily a basis uh, to make a generalized assumption about affirmative action or to uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater uh, because there were uh, a, a few abu- abuses. The, the 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 real core of it, in many ways, is that you know we're, we're in a society where people uh, very often uh, want to latch on to myths and be able to explain their own uh, challenges because of those myths. And affirmative action has been has has been one of those the 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 untruths about affirmative action. Uh, people no longer care what the, what the facts are. They only care how it fits uh, uh, the particular mythology that they want to work with. We're seeing that happen uh, in, in, in any number of, of areas, and very often it's 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 how uh, society views and treats people of color that become the core of the myth of the myth. Whether it's a myth about about who should be a slave and and why they should be a slave. Uh, all the way up to uh, more currently uh, attacking uh, 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 people of color who want to talk about their history. Uh, you know, it's 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 it, the notion that somehow uh, this is hurting uh, uh, white folks is 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 simply uh, a reflection of of, a, of an insecurity uh, that runs throughout a society, and and an insecurity gets resolved by blaming the victim. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're put in a position where, uh, uh, you know, there's a, uh, one of these political cartoons not too long ago that, that uh, you know, showed somebody with, with uh, chains and weights on and, and uh, uh, trying to enter into a race. Uh, and, and somebody uh, white said, okay, well, let's start, let's start running. And we're going to, you know, we, the, 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 the course is the same for both of us. No, the course wasn't the same for both of you because, uh, you know, we were suffering the weight badges of, of slavery uh, that uh, we were already overperforming in order to, to, to stay where we were, let alone trying to get ahead. So, I mean, I think this is, this issue that, that the court has, has dealt with here is really uh, a kind of a gut check moment for us in this country about who we are, what we believe, and whether or not we are willing to uh, recognize and be accountable uh, for uh, the disparate treatment of, 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 of particularly of people of color. And I think that, you know, th- this is a moment of reckoning that, that, that uh, um, is not going to be over with, uh, with this case. Um, it is still uh, you know, W.B. Du Bois said that race was going to be the biggest issue of the 20th century. It's still the biggest issue of the 21st century. Yeah, it seems like we're having a lot of moments of reckoning these days. Um, but, you know, that tests everybody's mettle. So you, you've got to, you know, make a decision in terms of, so what do you do from here? Um, we're going to take our first break. We are here with FAMU Law Professor Leroy Purnell. We're breaking down the affirmative action decision, and I have a, a question about maybe uh, changing some criteria uh, when we come back, so uh, stay with us. If you have questions for the professor, the number is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. 
Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. We're taking a look at the Supreme Court decision regarding affirmative action in our uh, higher institutions with uh, uh, Professor Leroy Purnell of FAMU Law School. And if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. So let me ask you, Let's say we change the criteria to the point where we say, okay, we don't necessarily need to know what school you're from. We just need to know that it's accredited, okay? And we're asking that you exceed or or are acceptable or whatever in these particular basic criteria, okay? And so you – Except, let's say, you need 100 students. You accept all of the 100 students based on knowing whether the school is accredited, yes or no. Okay, so yes. And then, okay, we have these basic criteria that we need to know. None of them associated with race. And we accept these 100 students. And let's just say, based on that criteria, 99 of the 100 students that you accept into your college or university is African-American or is Hispanic or is female or whatever the case is, but is a non-Caucasian applicant. Then, I mean, what do you think? I mean, I think that that is a much fairer thing, and I think that we have students coming out of our schools, African-American students, Asian, Latino, uh, all of those, who would meet that basic criteria? Uh, What what would be the argument at that point? Well, you know, uh, and in in fact, I think that the court's opinion uh, leaves that door open uh, for universities to um, develop some uh, non what often referred to as non-quantifiable standards for admissions based on experiences uh, and that they, and that you could put together a set of experiences as criteria for admissions. uh, And those experiences might highlight things that, that, that resonate more with, with black and brown folks. Um, Oh, also before, before I go any further, I'm sorry. I want to say also, don't put the name of the student on there. Okay. Just, this is student A. Okay. We won't put the name of the student because in some cases, the name automatically causes some sort of prejudice or some sort of discrimination. You know, don't put the address. Because if you know where the student is coming from, that might cause some sort of prejudice or discrimination. So you 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 see where I'm going with this? Yeah, yeah, I I I I, I see where you're going. I think I think some of the challenges of that is that I mean basically you're you're putting uh, uh, a an admissions criteria together on demographics and 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 on an environmental and social demographics. Um, but one of, one of the challenges that I think um, exists in the whole area is the ability of individual applicants, particularly people of color, to tell their own story. And so the court actually leaves that door open in terms of what can be included in, in personal statements. But, you know, decisions are made on an individual basis. Uh, and so it's almost impossible to not have the name there at some point. Uh, but but uh, well, yeah. uh, being yeah, being on an individual basis, uh, um, uh, you know, there's a case that certainly can be made that, uh, particularly for people of color, that you don't have to run away from your history. Uh, you don't have to run away from your struggle. Uh, and so uh, uh, you just don't need to have those things weigh you down and be factors against you. Uh, now, how you reach that balance uh, is 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 part of the challenge. You know, uh, 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 one of the things that we're going to see, I think, as a result of of uh, this decision that's been building for a while, is that you know institutions 
uh, uh, years ago began to put more and more weight on on so-called standardized testing uh, because mm-hmm. it's supposed to level playing field and 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 what we found, of course, is that those standardized tests themselves seem to have a, a, a disparate uh, uh, impact uh, in terms of performance uh, based on race, uh, and even mm-hmm. though individuals uh, very often exceeded uh, the, the so-called norm uh, of those. And so schools, so schools, uh, particularly after this decision, may re-examine whether or not peer to be culturally biased uh, tests, even though they don't know why they're culturally biased, but culturally biased tests uh, may, may do away with them. We may see the end of uh, uh, reliance on SATs and ACT scores that, that, that uh, uh, folks of color disproportionately finish at the bottom and instead look at other, other factors. That might be a good thing in the sense that, you know, those tests were never supposed to be the basis for admission. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we, people just reached the assumption, and a lot of the plaintiffs in these cases challenging affirmative action uh, would always make that assumption. Well, you know, I scored at the top of the SAT or I scored at the top of the ACT. How come I'm not getting admitted uh, or, or someone who scored less than, than I did uh, who happened to be uh, non-white got in? Well, that's a, that's a, a bastardization of what the, those, those tests were meant to do anyway. They were just meant to be one factor to consider. But I think that whole formula is going to have to be read, uh, readjusted now uh, otherwise, what, you, what you're going to see, and I, my fear is you'll see it very soon, is institutions relying too heavily on, even more heavily on those factors than they do now, uh, if they're told they can't uh, use affirmative action. And we're going to see our institutions of higher education become more and more uh, accessible only to privileged white is you know that that is it's, it's obviously detrimental to society and certainly detrimental to the communities that that are going to be excluded. Uh, but I think that that uh, uh, the you know a lot of admissions uh, programs have for a long time had an aspect uh, of subjectivity to it, and that's that's and, and the court has hasn't necessarily found that to be uh, 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 unconstitutional. In other words. Uh, many admissions uh, uh, processes take applicants and they have a committee look at it and, and look at the whole application and make a decision without necessarily indicating I'm doing this because of a person's race or I'm doing this because of a score. I, this is my impression of the entire uh, application. Um, uh, and unless there can be a, a, a demonstrated case that illegal factors are being used, uh, the courts have by and large said, okay, we can't necessarily outlaw that. In fact, it's one of those instances where probably institutions get into the more specific institutions are about why they made the admissions decision, the more likely they are to get sued. Uh, but the, 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 we'll probably see a lot more of that, uh, of that subjectivity uh, coming into play. Um, the other thing that, that uh, uh, certainly is going to be a factor to some extent at the undergraduate level, certainly at graduate and professional school level, is that um, you know, if you if you start to compare the experiences of of, of uh, a student coming out of high school or coming out of uh, out of college and, and and compare the experience that's reflected in their GPAs uh, and to some extent reflected by the schools they attended, uh, not all schools are treated equally, uh, and that's that's right. another uh, another challenge for us. Uh, you know, I I often uh, have to tell uh, uh, my students, I say, you look, if you went to a HBCU undergrad, and you're coming to law school. I've had, I've, had, I've been blessed over these decades, uh, and I've, I've, you know, I've worked with students in in all the tiers. You know, first tier, uh, you know, I, I, I was a visiting scholar at Columbia, I was at Ohio State for a long time, and I tell the students, you know, one one of the truths that I've realized that is, I don't care what school you went to, because you can all perform just as well. In fact, I'm, I'm very uh, happy when I tell students, look, when you graduate from HBCU and as a lawyer, you go into court and you, you beat that person who graduated from Harvard, you go up to them and say, do you know where I went to school? Uh, and, and that is, <laughs> I've done that myself. But the, the, right. uh, 
but but I I fear that that one of the things that may happen here is again this subtle discrimination that they'll say is not based on race. But look, if you if you don't admit people from Hampton the same rate that you admit people from Harvard because you say that that one is quote better than the other, then you in fact mm-hmm. are uh, uh, penalizing someone because of race. Well, that's what I was saying about, you know, and I'm I'm not saying w- when you get to wherever it is that you're trying to go that you don't introduce your flavor, for example. Um, oh. You know, uh, it, you know, it's a matter of just saying, okay, you know, the where I went to school, just like you said, you know, it really shouldn't matter. It, w- it should matter is whether or not you're qualified. So let's say. Um, I'm putting in a job application, and you you should just you know this is the criteria we're looking for. Do does person A and person B meet this criteria? Okay, right. and let's say person A and B meets the criteria. Um, where they went to school should not be a determining factor whether they go to the next level in terms of the interview, for example. But a lot of people mm-hmm. are impressed because someone went to Harvard or someone went to Princeton or Brown or wherever it is that they went to school. Um, and, and that's what I'm saying is that I, I think there needs to be some criteria in terms of getting into schools and, and getting into jobs where you just say, okay, this is something that we find out after the fact, but the bottom line is whether or not the school was accredited. You know? Well, yeah, I, I think that there is a there is certainly a role to to uh, for that. Um, my my guess is that the challenges that uh, that schools have to face, they're trying to decide who will do best uh, mm-hmm. in in a in a context in which you have uh, only maybe a hundred seats and thousands of applicants. So uh, mm-hmm. and. And, and, and how do you deal with that pool of applicants and what factors do you look to? Um, the other aspect of it that, that uh, um, came up in this opinion, certainly, and, and certainly was one of the key points that the defendants wanted to raise here is, in addition to opportunity uh, that you give, particularly the people of color, to attend an institution, uh, look at the price that everybody pays if you don't have students of color in your school. Uh, the quality of, of, uh, of, of education for everyone goes down. So that, that's one of the factors that, 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 uh, that, that, that plays a role here. Um, you know, something very interesting about this whole situation, I'm still trying to figure this out uh, in looking at the court's opinion. You know, in the old days, you'd say, I'm trying to suck this out. Uh, uh-huh. If you if you look at the court's opinion, they apparently go out of their way to grant an exception to their holding for the military, which was very interesting because the mm-hmm. military uh, uh, took a position and says, you know what, affirmative action works and works well for us. Race-based affirmative action works well for us in making sure mm-hmm. uh, that we get uh, uh, the, the type of officers uh, that we need. Well, you know, what's curious to me about that is that uh, all the reasons why uh, that might have worked for the military work just as well outside the military. So how do you draw that, that distinction line? I'm, I'm not sure I understand, other than politically, uh, why, the, wh- wh- why the court allows that for that distinction. You know, the, uh, the military and many of the big corporations uh, uh, stepped up to the plate and said, you know what? Um, not because they just become liberal all of a sudden, but they said, you know, diversity was important to us because our clients want that. You know, we're in a, we're in a, a world that is a non-white world. And when they look at, 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 at institutions that, 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 are, that, that folks of color are underrepresented in, uh, you know, there, may be, there may be some reluctance to continue to, to, to have the business relationships that supposedly big businesses want. So people pay a price, uh, they're, they're, and, and those who, who favor the court's decision uh, 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 need to be aware that, that uh, you know, everyone's going to pay a price for reduced diversity. 
in, in both in terms of opportunity for people who are excluded and the quality of education that people receive. We're going to take our next break. We are here with Professor Leroy Purnell of FAMU School of Law. And if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faiths, we have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs, dedicated to serving our families. Hi, I'm Tim Garris. Uh, You may know me as Timmy G. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's been two decades, but I want you to know I'm back in the argument And I've got a mix of music that can help you relax and chill out. It's smooth. It's relaxing. It's chill out jazz. The soulful mix of smooth jazz, soul, and smooth R&B. So join me every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. to midnight, on KHAM Radio. Are you chilling? Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us, especially on this holiday weekend. And like I said, if you are traveling, please be careful, be safe, and pack your patience. There's a lot of stuff going on out there, a lot of challenges, but you'll be fine. You're up to it. So we are talking about the Supreme Court decision regarding affirmative action and college admissions and and kind of, you know, going a little bit beyond that. We're here with Professor Leroy Purnell of Family School of Law. And if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. So uh, tell me basically, because uh, you were saying about – Okay, I guess one of the things I'm concerned about too is uh, you uh, students or whatever coming and trying to get into these uh, particular jobs or whatever, or trying to get in these, into these particular schools or whatever. Uh, like you said, you don't want them to necessarily suppress or deny where they're where they came from, but you do have probably some old school parents out there that are like well, you know, we're not going to send you to that school because there's a risk that this may inhibit your chances uh, of getting into that that other school or, you know, or to that job. Uh, how do we combat that? That's that's what I want to know. Well, you know, that's a that's a, a, an excellent question. I think that you know it probably requires uh, an answer that comes from multiple directions. One is uh, it falls upon that institution, whether it be a, a, a university or, or college, admitting students, to provide the type of climate, atmosphere, and opportunity uh, to make it uh, valuable. For, for people of color to attend, not just in terms of what comes out of the, out, out of the uh, uh, textbook, but uh, what uh-huh. kind of uh, they're going to have to survive under. Uh, you know, we've, we've gone through some tremendous things uh, in our history collectively in dealing with that. You know, there are people have been subjected to, to uh, uh, you know, silent treatment literally for four years because – uh, of trying to go to a, 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 a predominantly white institution, but, but people survive. People shouldn't have to go through things like that. Uh, so part of part of the, of the response falls upon the institutions to live up to their responsibility to provide a, a quality uh, experience to students both in the classroom and classroom. The other thing I think you have to be able to do is parents need to be able to have the information, have realistic discussions, and make realistic plans with their kids about uh, uh, opportunities. Uh, if this is, if, if a child, a case from 12, has uh, uh, developed an interest, talent, and skill in areas, and the parents want to help that, uh, that child maximize it, they should have the information available to say which institutions can best do that. 
and not to fall victim themselves to myths about what the schools can or cannot do. Uh, so it's it's a uh, it's an educational process both at the at the school level and at the student parent level, and it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Um, it, yeah. Because uh, don't you uh, think, in some respects, I'm sorry to cut you off, but don't you think, in some respects, there may be, let's say, a PR problem for a lot of HBCUs. Um, for example, and not and and not saying anything negative at all, but right. FAMU is known for what? Well, you the know, March I think that, Okay. Uh, yeah. What, what that, that, that might be the initial response uh, that a lot of people would have. But you know, put uh, first right. put that in, in another context. You know, I could. So don't I we could, need I to could, change I, that a little bit though? Uh, yes, yes, you do, and I think that there are. Uh, it, it's a, it's an information gap, and it's a perception gap, and it's a promotion gap. You know, you could, we, there are a number of white institutions. I could say something similar about. I asked, you know, I, I said I spent a long time in the faculty at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I asked you, what is Ohio State known for? People going to jump up football, football, right? <laughs> uh, but the the uh, uh, the job of the institution is uh, through its results. To be known for more than that. So when you look at an a institution like FAMU, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not PR person for FAMU, but I can tell you mm-hmm. that. Well, yeah, yeah, you, you may, but you may like the Marching 100, but you should love our pharmacy school. Uh, you mm-hmm. may like the Marching 100, but look at what our law school uh, graduates can accomplish. So the, mm-hmm. the way you get past that is you get past that with results, and you be able to. And being able to communicate those results, uh, not just mm-hmm. myths and stories, uh, not just the PR that the media would have you absorb, uh, but to get past that PR to talk about the quality of experiences and opportunities, a much different right. story. So it's it's a it's a uh, uh, it's a job that has to be accomplished. Not just you can't just put that uh, that responsibility on the media or the venues for communicating. But uh, but uh, our responsibility on those institutions to make sure uh, that folks know what they're really good at uh, and where they really have had shining success. And I think when you look at HBCUs, I mean, uh, not all schools are the same, but you, you look at, at most HBCUs, uh, there are fantastic opportunities that are available and successes uh, that uh, that people don't know about. You know. It, 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 it's amazing sometimes when you look at uh, certain uh, uh, industries uh, or even further up the education chain, the PhD program and so forth, that you ask them about, well, what do you think about particular HBCUs? And some of them will tell you, you know what, we've had fantastic experience. Uh, those stories need to be told. On the other hand, mm-hmm. uh, as, as of what you, you're talking about, I've had instances uh, uh, where – um, I've, I've, I've sat down, I'll just share this story without, without mentioning any names. Uh, I sit down with uh, a major uh, law firm senior partner and just in a, you know, a quasi-social event and talking to them about what they're doing. And, and they're saying, oh, well, you know, yeah, we, we, we have, have such high standards. I don't know if we would ever hire a fan youth uh, law graduate. And I, and I remember this one instance. I said, well, yeah, hold on a moment. So I had uh, there was a, a graduate in the in the room. Our student said, "Come over here, and sit down and 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 uh, and talk with this person." I, and I left. Right. I come back later on. Uh, this this senior partner is coming up to me, raving about. I had no idea that the quality of students you have. This is representative of the quality of students you have. Uh, I'm, mm. I'm going to be my doors. Now, I tell you just one other short, relatively short story. That illustrates this. Uh, again, I try to keep names out of it, but um, uh, I had a I had a, 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 a colleague of mine uh, who uh, we were students together in in law school, who was a federal judge, a black federal judge, and I um, I called him up one day when I was dean here at at school. I said, you know what? Uh, I look at our what our students do, and we have never had we have never had one of our uh, family students have a federal clerkship, which is one of the most prestigious things you can get coming out of law school in your court. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, well, you know, that's a terrible thing. So we, we talked about what are we going to do about it? So here's what we did. 
um, I said, look, I'm going to gather a, a bunch of students. He agreed with this. I'm going to gather a bunch of students, and I'm going to let them work down in your court for free for a summer just, just to you know, work with different judges in a, in a clerk, uh, volunteer clerk capacity so they can learn a lot of things about the federal court. And so to make a you know, long story short, we did that. And uh, I had one of my uh, uh, one of the students I recommended, uh, who was one of our excellent students at, at the law school. Um, uh, after that whole experience was over, that same judge called me up on the phone and said, "You know what? Here's a very interesting thing happened. So I already had two two clerks from prestigious schools, and your guy came in and worked with those two clerks in my courtroom for this summer." And my two other clerks are begging for that person to come back. They said they have never had a uh, the assistance and support of a, of a potential new clerk uh, 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 the way we got from him. And and as soon as he's eligible to become a clerk in our court, we're gonna we're gonna hire him. We're gonna jump past the system of selection and select him. Mm. Uh, 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 and, and and the judge went on to say, I get I'm getting the same story from every other judge that you placed a student with this summer. And so, you know, it, it's a matter of getting past those stereotypes, getting past those barriers uh, uh, that, that, that are in our path to show quality and not just perception. So it, it, it's hard. It's not, it's not easy to do. But, uh, but it, it's constantly fighting uh, those perceptions that somehow we're not worthy. Uh, but when, we, when, mm-hmm. you get past, when you get past that, uh, we can take the crown. It's just, it's just sad. It's um, angering a little bit. It's, it's frustrating that you have to do that much clawing and, and scratching and proving to get other people to to yep. open their eyes and say, "Wow, gosh, look what a treasure we have here!" It's like you shouldn't have to do that. You shouldn't you have know. to do that. Consider the fact that you know affirmative action has been around for for decades. Uh, there's a book, yeah. a great book out there called "When Affirmative Action Was White." Points out is that white people have used affirmative action for since time immemorial. Uh, we call them legacy admissions. We call uh, yeah. uh, uh, someone else, uh, you know, uh, uh, the son or a child of a of a, of a donor. And we're going to make sure we get that person into our institution because what we can can it's uh, what we, what we can uh, uh, benefit from. Um, so it's only when uh, folks of color came from those non-powered uh, uh, perspectives do we have people fussing about it uh, in, in terms of, of affirmative action. Um, and it, I, if you don't mind, I want I want to talk about one other aspect of, of sure. cases that doesn't get talked Please. about a lot. That's concern, and this is a problem uh, for all of these challenges uh, uh, with uh, affirmative action, uh, race-based affirmative action at, at colleges and institutions uh, that's gone all the way back to Baki. Uh, and that is that, to a large extent, we've got the wrong parties at the table arguing the case. Um, and so you think of it this way, um, uh, this, the, the case that the court just decided, the, the defendants were the University of North Carolina and Harvard University. Now, neither of those schools in the trial, at, the, at the trial level on these cases were coming into this case saying, we admit to our own history of racism and discrimination. No. They were all saying it's society's doing this. We're, you know, we're, we're trying to fix society. And, and the difference is this. If you don't have at the table the people who have been affected the most, who have been dumped on the most, arguing their case, then the issue becomes very blurred at that point. It's harder for those defendants to say, oh, well, we're kind of representing uh, uh, those folks of color uh, indirectly, even though we, we may in fact be responsible for the situation that they're in. That, the real parties and interests in these cases at the university level seldom have a seat at the table. Very often they're not allowed to intervene in the case. Uh, and so it's being argued, it, it, it's kind of like having uh, 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 you know, Jesse James arguing about bank security. It, 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 you're not going to, to, to really get uh, uh, a crystallized 
uh, presenting of the issues, which is what our legal system depends on. You know, we, we have what we call an adversarial system, which means that you have to have two opposing sides uh, 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 are, are crystallizing their arguments and presenting them to a neutral uh, 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 tribunal for determination. I, the history of, of affirmative action and, and, and in the universities, I'm not sure that you've had a crystallized true opposing side. I think you've had a lesser, uh, <laughs> may have a lesser version of the bigger villain. Uh, and and uh, uh, that that's 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 very troubling. You know, I don't know uh, how you can recalculate this in terms of future challenges. Obviously, with the Supreme Court, it's going to be very difficult to do that. Uh, but it seems that we need to have, and I say we, the people of color in particular, need to have a more crystallized representative voice in in, in challenging these systems. Are there any cases you know of that? going to end up putting this back on the Supreme Court's radar? I don't know. Uh, but I imagine there are situations that that uh, uh, that aren't resolved. I don't know of particular ones that are in the, in the pipeline right now. I've mentioned some of them. Uh, 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 two, in, uh, two situations in particular uh, that I wonder about is, is, is one, the extent to which uh, uh, the, uh, the court may create and use race-based uh, 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 affirmative action as a remedy if you did, in fact, have a, have a proof that, that the defendant themselves engaged in a history of, of, of racial discrimination. Those cases may uh, 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 still uh, come up. And since this uh, uh, case the court decided uh, 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 this week was about higher ed, we still uh, do have to have some specific cases about the employment field. So and and the issues in employment are a little bit different, um, uh, but the uh, 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 but I but I imagine that 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 those will make their way uh, eventually uh, uh, up the uh, uh, up up the uh, legal ladder. Now, one of the interesting things that we'll have to see how this develops in light of 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 the positioning that this Supreme Court is taking is trying to uh, make progress. Uh, in outside of the federal Supreme Court system, that is, we may see see more efforts being made at the state court level, uh, and under state systems where where uh, uh, the the position may not be as as uh, draconian as, as as this Supreme Court. Of course, remember if if a if a if a state court decides as a matter of state law to provide greater rights uh, than the federal court. Uh, provides there's nothing that stops the state from doing that. So the the uh, we may see uh, a, a less of an of a willingness to have these cases go up the federal uh, 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 chain and getting more bad decisions uh, and and uh, perhaps greater emphasis in in select states uh, to get better rulings at the state level under state constitutions. Okay, so <clears throat> how do we prepare our students for what's ahead? What advice do you have? In many ways, the advice doesn't change uh, in terms of developing uh, uh, basic skills uh, necessary for you to succeed. I think uh, our students, first of all, have to, uh, you have to begin the process at the K-12 level. Uh, we have to reinforce uh, with our students and accommodate from schools and parents at the K-12 level uh, the value of, of, uh, of study, the, the, the value of, of having, um, uh, of believing um, that you have an opportunity to succeed. You can't let anyone else uh, decide your future for you. And I, that's the message I always try to tell uh, 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 young people. You must take uh, 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 control of your own uh, destiny and believe in your own destiny uh, and not have others redefine you. No matter what the Supreme Court says, the Supreme Court doesn't define who you are. Uh, so when you start with that, uh, you can begin to overcome. Uh, it'll be a harder fight, but you can overcome uh, a lot of things. I can think of times in my own experience uh, where I've had uh, institutions and people at different institutions trying to redefine me as someone who could not succeed. 
And eventually I had to have a, a, a gut check with myself about, no, I will not allow that. Uh, I will not allow that. Um, I even had at one point in, in a very early year, in, in, in very early point in, in the uh, K-12, uh, uh, students, uh, uh, teachers trying mm-hmm. to say I was mentally retarded. Uh, and uh, fortunately, mm-hmm. uh, someone came along and said, wait a minute, you cannot treat that boy like that. Uh, but I, but I, what I learned from that was, I, you know, you don't define who I am, right? I'm going to define for myself. The other thing that we have to do is there are some real building blocks that we have to demand through tough love that our students not sell short. You know, mm-hmm. it's nothing, nothing mm-hmm. magical about them. They're the basic R's, reading, writing, arithmetic, right? Uh, and yep. uh, there, there is no reason why our our kids cannot excel in those areas, and we have to stop believing that they can excel. And we have to be prepared uh, to to protect our children from those influences that suggest that they can't excel, whether that is media, television, uh, 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 video games, whatever it is that presents an image uh, to our children that tells them they're limited in what they can do. If you can build that 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 sense of 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 and vision. The biggest problem that I find young people have had over the years is they lose a sense of vision and a sense of hope. They begin to accept uh, the notion that there is a ceiling that I cannot move beyond. So why should I even try? We have to counter that. Uh, we have to demand our school systems treat our children as young people deserving of education and not simply little criminals. Now, this is a, mm-hmm. a big speech that I go through about how how we we create this pathway to the to the uh, to the criminal justice and juvenile justice system that stems mm-hmm. from not understanding that our children are are, are brilliant uh, potential learners uh, and and are not simply little criminals waiting to grow up. Uh, we have to change that dynamic uh, because some of our best and brightest minds are being uh, redirected, uh, quite frankly, out of the school systems or out of mm-hmm. opportunities for them to exceed. And we just cannot accept that. Uh, and, and that also requires, and there's another basic, uh, uh, very troubling, and it has, you know, it, it, decision is just part of the issue. This is much bigger, mm-hmm. bigger than the Supreme Court. But, but, but there is a, a, something that's concerned me for so long in our own community is that, uh, you know, when we start to believe what is said about us and at the same time believing that the fight that uh, our parents, our grandparents, and those who went before us went through is somehow over, it's very <laughs> dangerous. Civil rights, yeah. we want to talk about in terms of, of calling it the civil rights struggle, that, that is not over. We, we may have won some nope. battles, but we didn't win the war. And the war is very much uh, 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 occurring and continuing, and we have to remember that and fight it with the same determination that we fought being made to sit in the back of the bus. Professor Purnell, thank you so much. We are running out of time, and uh, we've definitely got to have you back. So really appreciate you taking the time today, and you have a blessed weekend. Thanks. My pleasure. And just, uh, I, I want to say something real quick before we go um, off subject, but important still. A lot of you all, everybody's going to the beach this weekend. Uh, they tell you about swimming close to where the lifeguards are, and you may see the flags up there. Um, I posted on the G's Power Hour Facebook page uh, a, couple, a few articles about what these flags mean. I was with my husband at the beach a couple of weeks ago. And he's not from Florida and had no idea what color flag meant what. Uh, they're not just there waving in the wind. These are important. So please go on the G's Power Hour Facebook page or contact someone with uh, Beach Safety and Security to find out what these flags mean so you can know when the flags are a certain color what that means in terms of your safety out on the beach, okay? Thank you all for listening. This has been G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. Be well, be safe, be blessed. God willing, talk to you next week. And please remember, all real power comes from God. Take care.
make it all right.